so busy we knew we wouldn't be able to do it by a vehicle, so we walked. Another spike in daily infections. Can BC flatten the curve with thousands hitting the road for the long weekend? Victoria's tent city flip-flop. Uh, we were shocked and, you know, my phone's been ringing off the hook. Why those evicted from a crime-infested encampment will be allowed to return. And can the Canucks playoff run continue? How does game seven sound? Fans hope for a win to keep the Stanley Cup dream alive. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophie is off tonight. BC's COVID-19 numbers for today show another uptick, the second highest number of infections for a single day. We have 121 new confirmed infections. That brings our total to 6,162 cases. Sadly, one more person has died, which means we've now lost 211 people to complications from the virus. 31 are in hospital, 12 of those patients in ICU. 4,706 people are now considered fully recovered, leaving us with 1,233 active cases and nearly 2,800 people in isolation. Teachers and staff will be armed with that information as they prepare to be back in the classroom after the long weekend. One of the many questions still lingering is how will schools prevent the spread of the virus from some teachers who have to work among several learning groups? Richard Zussman has more. They are an essential part of school life. Principals, music teachers, custodians, librarians. They also interact with a lot of kids every day. So for any staff that are dealing with multiple learning groups, like teachers on call or teachers that teach band or other courses like that, they are required to maintain a physical distance between themselves and the learning group that they're working with. School districts across the province, including in Surrey, are grappling with how to deal with people in the classroom who are not part of a learning cohort. Along with physical distancing, there will be some cases where plexiglass is set up to block off high traffic areas like school offices. And if physical distancing and barriers aren't in place, a mask should be worn. It's gradations of risk and that's what uh, I know that the teachers and schools are out there looking at how they can make that work. Temporary teachers on call will also be treated differently. For example, in Delta, substitute teachers will be grouped into a family of schools to minimize movement. And there's a big emphasis on stopping the practice of sharing, including musical instruments. Instruments will not be shared. And if there are materials that are being shared, uh, teachers and other staff will be cleaning between uses. Many teachers are worried to speak out publicly about concerns on these issues, but have expressed those worries through social media. Some of the messages read, I don't want a bubble of five, six classes as it's not safe, nor is it keeping with the cohort model. None of my offices have windows that open, reads another, and I will be seeing children in all cohort in all three schools. And this from a speech language therapist. I'm terrified. I feel like we haven't been factored in. We need more preventative measures in classrooms. And so I encourage and implore school districts to ensure that they hire additional teachers and support staff in order to make sure that happens. Time is running out to hire those teachers. Teachers are expected to be back in class on Tuesday, with most students across the province back on Thursday. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. And here's a first. Two WestJet passengers are facing a $1,000 fine after refusing to wear masks on flights. Transport Canada says the travellers 
were fined after ignoring repeated warnings from cabin crew to put on their face coverings. The first incident occurred on a WestJet flight from Calgary to Waterloo in June. The second on a WestJet trip from Vancouver to Calgary in July. Masks or face coverings have been mandatory on flights since late April. Vancouver's recreation facilities are coming back online starting Tuesday. 24 community centers will reopen following the long weekend, including a phased reopening after that of some indoor pools, ice rinks and fitness centers starting the second week of September. But it won't be business as usual. Showers, change rooms and locker rooms are only available to pool users. Saunas and steam rooms are closed. More pools and fitness centers are expected to open by mid-October, and arenas will allow for public skating sometime in the fall. Meantime, Surrey residents will have to wait until October to swim indoors. The city of Surrey says it's taking a more cautious approach to the reopening of recreation services. The first to reopen will be the Surrey Sport and Leisure Aquatic Center in Fleetwood on October 13th. The remaining Surrey indoor pools will reopen in a staggered manner. Two outdoor pools have extended their season until October 9th. Well, a new poll indicates if an election was to be held this fall, the NDP would likely win in a landslide. And while that could be seen as an irresistible opportunity for Premier John Horgan, others point out forcing an early election during a pandemic might not be a popular move. Keith Baldry reports. It was heady times for John Horgan when he became premier in 2017, and he's been leading a minority government ever since. But a new poll strongly suggests if he tested the electoral waters today, he would easily romp to a strong majority government. What these numbers tell us is that the opposition has not had much opportunity to really pick up any traction. We know that uh, BC Liberal leader Andrew Wilkinson has sort of struggled to get to know British Columbians. That plus the fact the British Columbians are pretty happy with the job that this government has done on pandemic response. An Angus Reid poll gives the NDP a huge lead among decided voters at 48 points, almost 20 points ahead of the B.C. Liberals, with the B.C. Greens a distant third. The next election is not scheduled until October 2021, but the premier will not rule out holding one earlier. I'm advised uh, that uh, there's an election underway right now in New Brunswick. There's an election upcoming in Saskatchewan, and Elections BC is, uh, is prepared to, uh, uh, to provide uh, a safe uh, way to vote if that uh, isn't something that comes up. Holding an election during a pandemic will be a challenge, and Dr. Bonnie Henry says work is being done to ensure one is held as safely as possible, no matter what the timing of it. I think we all need to, like any other uh, event or business, we need to have a COVID safety plan. And that's what we're working on with uh, Elections BC and with Elections Canada. But there may be a risk as well at going to the polls too early in a pandemic. There is a significant number of British Columbians, three in ten, who say that they would be quite uncomfortable actually going and casting a physical ballot. And we'll bring in Keith Baldry uh, right now for a little bit more on this. Obviously, nothing is normal in uh, the COVID era. What would an election campaign really look like during a pandemic? 
Yeah, I've had some very interesting conversations with MLAs on all sides of the house, Chris, and basically they agreed we wouldn't really have the traditional campaign at all. No leaders' tours, uh, no uh, campaign rallies, probably not even campaign offices. So much would be done virtually, hard for politicians to connect with all their constituents virtually. So it's a real challenge for a campaign to actually be carried off, be, be, car be carried out, because we simply can't gather in crowds in the traditional way. Uh, again, whether or not we go to the polls, uh, it's up to John Horgan. He's got to weigh this very favorable pull against other factors, including the fact we're seeing daily escalation of COVID-19 cases likely to occur for some time, the flu season's about to begin, and potentially the proverbial second wave. I'll be surprised if we go early. Just speculation at this point, isn't mm -hmm. it? All right. Yep. Thanks very much, Keith. Have a good long weekend. You too. Longtime NDP MLA Shane Simpson announced he is not seeking re-election whenever that happens. Simpson has served the Vancouver Hastings riding since 2005. He's been the Minister of Social Development and Poverty Reduction since 2015. In a statement, he says the time is right for change and thanks all who have supported him during his 16 years in public service. Just two days after clearing the tents from Victoria's Centennial Square, homeless people are now being allowed back in to camp there. The change in policy comes after a stunning turnaround from City Council yesterday. And Brad McLeod reports on the reaction from area residents and businesses. The path to kicking out campers from Centennial Square wasn't easy for the city. There was a large police drug sting. Then a closed-door meeting for council to find a legal means to dismantle the often violent camp. Our city staff had issued an order to remove the campers from Centennial Square and do some remediation. We were very happy. Just having no camps near our businesses creates a safer spot. So why, just two days after these fences went up, did council just decide campers can come back. I, I can't explain it. It, it, is, it is bizarre. Mayor Lisa Helps was against it, but Councillor Jeff Young and others outvoted her. It was an odd move considering Young wants an end to all daytime camping, but says as long as the city allows it, councillors should see it. A man pulling down his pants in the middle of the sidewalk and defecating on the sidewalk. So anyone who's playing political games with this, and I don't know if people are or aren't, uh, this isn't the time. I spoke with several small businesses downtown. They were excited about this encampment going and the possibility that vandalism would go down. But when they heard about the encampment coming back here, well, they didn't want to go on camera. They were so livid, they thought they might say something inappropriate. Uh, we have two hotels right in the vicinity. All the comments on Booking.com and these other websites are just saying, my gosh, we walk outside and it's just terrible. We need to do everything we can as a city to support our business community. Full stop. Although council has already passed the plan, it still needs to be made into a bylaw. The good news is it's not a final decision. Next Thursday, I will make a motion to add Centennial Square back to the prohibited list. And that I can find uh, four other people who will support that decision. Brad McLeod, Global News, Victoria. One person has died after a tragic start to long weekend travel in Langley. Around 6.30 this morning, police say a white pickup truck rolled off Highway 1 and into the center ditch between 216th and Glover Road. The driver died at the scene. Witnesses reported seeing sparks before the truck began to rotate and drift off the road to the left. Weather and road conditions have been ruled out, but mechanical malfunction has not.
B.C. Ferries terminals are already very busy as people head off for maybe one last staycation before the fall. Traffic is also expected to be heavy on the roads, and Nadia Stewart has more on the Labor Day long weekend travel warning. Travelers began streaming in first thing Friday morning. Hoping to grab a coveted spot on board amidst one of the busiest long weekends of the year. Over the Tawasson Ferry Terminal, and I know that if you don't have a reservation, you're definitely going to have to be down here early today. BC Ferries began warning travelers as early as Thursday. You have to go around. No reservation will mean a longer wait time, and foot passengers are no exception. Do you have a reservation? We don't. We tried to book like six days ago and uh, weren't able to get one. We couldn't get one like a month or two, I think. We tried to book and we couldn't find one. So. We don't have a plan B, so we are getting on this boat. Yeah. <laughs> Folks were being encouraged to try Tawasin as opposed to Horseshoe Bay. For people traveling this long weekend, really good idea to check the website because we have information on where we expect uh, more popular sailings to uh, be. And we've also listed where some of those sailings may be less busy for the long weekend. Health officials are hoping there won't be any lingering side effects this Labor Day long weekend. An uptick in COVID-19 cases is what they're trying to avoid. With respect to this long weekend, our task surely is that we need to stop the spread. Physical distancing saves lives, stop the spread. Hand hygiene, washing our hands saves lives because it stops the spread. Taking time on the roads could also save lives. A reminder from ICBC as this long weekend is notoriously deadly. On average, four people die and 600 are injured in more than 2,000 crashes across the province. The hope is staycations and exercising a bit more patience could keep those numbers lower this year. Nadia Stork, Global News. A couple of hundred people traveled downtown to be in attendance at an anti-racism rally underway at Jackpool Plaza. That's where we find our Jordan Armstrong with the details. And Jordan, the focus of, of this gathering seems to be about education and making sure the message gets to children early in school. Indeed, Chris, and it is a smaller gathering by comparison, but considering it is the Friday of a long weekend, there's a hockey game on, and that this was only organized a week ago, they seem pleased with the turnout of a few hundred people here at Jackpool Plaza. Their message is, it's time for change. Anti-black racism is, of course, a problem in the United States, but it is also a problem here at home. On the stage, the rally began at four with speakers sharing their experiences with racism. It's a young crowd, many students in attendance, and with school back in session next week, they have a message for school districts and the education ministry. They want safe spaces in schools for black students and Canadian black history to be part of the curriculum. We spoke to a young woman. She's 17, just graduated high school in Surrey, and she describes a very hurtful experience this past February during Black History Month. This one time, I believe, um, we tried to do a change. We created a black... Um, History Month posters and, you know, students would rip it all the time and we find that very disrespectful and we have every single right to speak up for ourselves. So I really find that kind of disrespectful, you know, but I feel like we should all deserve to speak up for our rights. Jordan, the June event was a little bit disruptive in some areas downtown with traffic. Do, they, do we know if they're expecting a march tonight? Yeah, no march tonight, Chris. This one is supposed to go until about 7 o'clock with more speeches, poetry and music. But just staying here at Jackpool Plaza, no march to the downtown core. Back to you. 
All right, thank you, Jordan Armstrong, down at Jackpool Plaza for us tonight. Residents have rallied for a bear they say should never have been destroyed. Locals called her plum, and most did what they thought they should do to protect her, but not everyone. Why, this group says the bear didn't have to be put down in just over a minute. You gotta keep our distance when we're not in a the singing superintendent with a musical message to returning students later on the news hour. And a startling discovery at a construction site in Mexico. What they unearthed coming up. But right now, we want to turn to a protest in Deep Cove this afternoon over the killing of a black bear that was well known in the community. Upset residents say there was no need for conservation officers to put the bear down, despite reports that it was trying to enter a home. Aaron MacArthur reports. Residents in Deep Cove furious about a bear that was destroyed in their backyard. Other communities manage to live with bears, but for some reason we can't. According to people who live here, the animal, a regular visitor to the neighborhood, relying on fruit trees to fatten up. Some people say it had moved on to other sources of food. And it just took one person not securing their garbage, and here we are. This memorial service is also an educational opportunity. The community as a whole needs to do a much better job of managing attractants. So we're not going to focus on the finger pointing. I want to focus on our behavior change. There have been other bears destroyed in this part of North Vancouver recently. Residents have taken to naming them. Many say conservation officers are too quick to pull the trigger. If they're given too much power with their discretion, then maybe we need to correct that. And that is policy change. Numbers provided by the provincial government show how many bear calls there are. Since April, more than 9,000 province-wide. In April, 14 bears were killed, 50 in May, 78 in June, and 70 in July, which is the last month data has been provided. Bears are killed on average just 2.3% of the time. The number in Metro Vancouver, less than 1%. We didn't kill the bear. It was the previous month with everybody that left their attractants out. That's where the, that's where the accountability has to be. We're just the end result. Bears sometimes do escape the traps. The bear which swatted at a jogger on the Coquitlam Crunch has so far eluded capture. The trap has been removed. That part of the trail remains closed through the long weekend. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Up ahead, a snapshot of national unemployment and a new opportunity. It, it's not been easy. The Okanagan Ski Resort already worried about a shortage of workers. And a little girl who had her mobility aid stolen is getting a new one. Who stepped up to help right after this? Emergency crews are still on the scene to a crash here in Surrey that has 152nd Street blocked to southbound traffic just before 72nd Avenue. Traffic was really busy not too long ago, but it is starting to ease off in all directions. There is a detour in effect. Kermat Collision and Autoglass have been family run and locally owned since 1973. For unmatched quality repairs and exceptional service, choose Kermac. For location information, visit Kermac.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, the hive of a crash in Surrey. Stats Canada is releasing the August job numbers for Canada. The Canadian economy added 246,000 jobs last month. That's a drop-off from the 419,000 added in July. The unemployment rate fell to 10.1%. And here at home, the B.C. economy 
gained 15,300 jobs in August. The unemployment rate dropped to 10.7 percent here. While it's still officially summer out there, staff at Big White are already hard at work trying to ensure a successful and safe season at the resort during a pandemic. Not only is finding workers proving to be very tough, but so too is finding housing and feeding them safely. 2,400 seasonal staff in a worldwide pandemic, it's, it's not been easy. COVID-19 has created a big hole for Big White to fill. This is really the first time in my career that we've ever had uh, weekly meetings regarding staff recruitment. Traditionally, Big White and most of the other ski resorts in BC rely heavily on a foreign national workforce. Aussie, Aussie, Aussie! Last year, over 600 Aussies came from down under to staff the mountain and bear it all while celebrating Australia Day. Bit cold? Just a tad, mate. But due to COVID-19... This year, they just can't come. And that's left Big White scrambling to find some crazy Canucks who like to ski and ride for free, but also realize that a healthy staff equals healthy guests. We're focusing on our on recruiting right now and getting staff members that understand that. The other daunting task at hand right now is housing those workers safely during the pandemic. Well, our staff members are going to have to travel because we just don't have the beds to accommodate eight to nine hundred staff and socially separate them. But Ballingall is confident Big White will open as usual. We're doing everything we can with COVID-19 to make everybody feel secure and be safe. Travis Lowe, Global News, Kelowna. We have an update for you tonight on that heartbreaking theft of a walker from a little girl in New Westminster. Five-year-old Raya's specialized mobility aid was stolen off the back of the family's vehicle last month. Without it, Raya is unable to walk independently and at a cost of $4,000, the family worried they wouldn't be able to get her a new one. Many of you were moved by the story and wanted to help, including Variety. The charity stepped in with a grant for the family to help cover some of the costs to get a new walker. Are you happy? There's more good people in this world than there are bad people. And uh, yeah, we're just, we can't believe the, the, the support that we got. Just like that, the family received the new walker yesterday and say she's so excited that it's hard to tear her away from it. And they say additional donations set up through a GoFundMe will now go towards more treatments for Raya, including leg braces. And a reminder, we are a week away from what we know as Variety Week here at Global BC. Tune in September 14th to the 18th to find out more ways you can help BC kids through Variety BC the children's charity. And up ahead on the news hour, murder on a quiet street. Multiple victims from the same family. And what might have been the catalyst for the killings. And Donald Trump pushes back after allegations the president disrespected American soldiers who died in battle. Good evening. Crews are on scene to another crash here in Surrey. This time it's eastbound on 72nd Avenue at 138th Street. Traffic is down to just one lane getting by on the left. From help on the road to protecting your home and car, BCAA's local experts are here for your insurance needs. Visit BCAA.com. Interest you was in Global One, Hive of Crash in Surrey.
Residents of a quiet street in Oshawa, Ontario are in shock after learning what happened in their neighbor's home overnight. Gunfire echoed up and down their street and then came some awful details. Five members of the same family shot and as Global's Catherine McDonald reports, a dispute over a will might be to blame. On a quiet street in Oshawa, there is utter shock. It's crazy crazy never think something like this would happen around here ever it was 1:20 a.m when neighbors say they heard multiple shots coming from this house where a family of six lives it just went on and on and on and then screaming voice like a female screaming by the time tactical team officers arrived four people were found dead and a 50 year old woman who police say had been shot but is expected to survive. We made sure that she was uh, tended to by EMS. Later, police went back in and realized that there was one more body, and all five people were found dead. Family have identified the victims as Chris Trainer, a teacher at Monsignor Paul Dwyer, and his son Bradley, a student at the University of Guelph. Also found dead, Adelaide Trainer, a grade 10 student at the same school where her father taught, and her 11-year-old brother, Joseph. Relatives have told Global News Chris's wife, Loretta Trainer, a mother of four children and a teacher herself, is the surviving family member, along with a teenage son who was away at university. Relatives of the victims tell me off camera that police have indicated to them that the lone suspect in this case is Loretta Trainer's brother, Mitchell Lapa of Winnipeg. Lapa, who was found here amongst the dead, is believed to have died from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. And according to another source, he was estranged from his sister. The two had been fighting over their late father's will. Lapa's pickup truck with Manitoba plates, which neighbors say they had not seen parked there before, was towed away by police on Friday morning. It's the last family you would think there would be any issues with. Catherine McDonald, Global News. Members of the U.S. military community are sounding off tonight over disparaging comments reportedly made by President Donald Trump. An article in The Atlantic cites unnamed sources with first-hand knowledge who say Trump called Americans who died in war losers and suckers. His Democratic rival Joe Biden says if the report is true, the president is unfit to be commander-in-chief. Uh, would you have any other questions? President Trump forcefully pushing back today against reporting in The Atlantic magazine that he called dead American service members losers and suckers. It was a totally fake story, and that was confirmed by many people who were actually there. Uh, it was a terrible thing that somebody could say the kind of things, and especially to me, because I've done more for the military than almost anybody else. The Atlantic article describes a cancelled 2018 trip to a U.S. military cemetery in France, citing four people with first-hand knowledge who claim the president said, quote, why should I go to that cemetery? It's filled with losers. Several current and former aides insisting the trip was cancelled because rain made it too dangerous to fly. But the language harkens back to President Trump's comments about now-deceased Senator John McCain, who survived more than five years as a prisoner of war in Vietnam. He's a war hero because he was captured. I like people that weren't captured, okay? I hate to tell you. Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden, whose late son served in Iraq, seizing on the story today. If these statements are true, the president should humbly apologize to every gold star mother and father and every Blue Star family that he's denigrated and insulted. Who the heck does he think he is? 
A progressive veterans group out today with a searing ad aimed at the president. My son is not a loser. A broadside against a commander-in-chief who casts himself as the military's strongest ally. In Washington. To Mexico now, where archaeologists have made a mammoth discovery. Hundreds of skeletons of prehistoric animals have been uncovered at a construction site near Mexico City. They include at least 200 skeletons of mammoths, along with those of five horses and 25 camels. The monumental find may help solve the mystery of the creature's extinction. Experts say there are signs the creatures may have been butchered by humans somewhere between 10 and 20,000 years ago. In Health Matters tonight, a new and improved Sunny Hill Health Center is now welcoming patients at BC Children's Hospital. The more than 33,000-square-foot space was custom-built to serve children and their families. Sunny Hill Health Center, which has been providing specialized care for kids since 1961, moved its development and rehab programs from East Vancouver to Children's Hospital alongside state-of-the-art equipment and technology. There is a therapy pool, open-concept gym, and even a healing garden. And Fraser Health is advising the public of a cluster of Legionnaire's disease cases in New Westminster. Public Health says there have been six cases since June. Two of those are still in hospital. Officials say they're still trying to determine the source, but have narrowed it to the downtown core or key area. Legionnaire's disease is caused by bacteria called Legionella, commonly found in freshwater, groundwater, and soil. It can also spread to water systems in buildings through hot tubs, cooling towers, and fountains. Public health is advising anyone who's developed pneumonia-like symptoms within 19 days of being in New West should seek medical attention. Still ahead, we've got satellite debris. A musical menagerie to send you off into the long weekend coming up. And in sports with Game 7 on the line, the top-selling Canucks jerseys. Saywell here, Superintendent in Nanaimo Ladysmith Public Schools. Scott Saywell might just be too cool for back to school. His musical jam and its message to students right after Kasha's forecast. Just saw a beautiful glimpse of the sun going down, Kasha, behind yeah. you. That's a nice shot. It's gorgeous out there. It's so, so nice. And today we saw temperatures ranging between 22 and, sorry, 24 and 28 degrees in Metro Vancouver. We had a little bit of haziness, courtesy of the wildfire stateside. But the theme of yesterday's weather window were the cirrocumulus clouds. You can see this one from Seashelt yesterday in Vancouver. This all courtesy of a transitional weather pattern. It's very fleeting, but it can make for some beautiful sunsets like this one taken in Vancouver by Jeanette yesterday. 
And finally, this one from Casey. Now moving forward, Metro Vancouver, I hope you're ready for the heat. It is certainly building. The peak of the heat will be Wednesday into Thursday. This is for inland sections, by the way. Tomorrow, we're going to have a little bit more cloud cover to kick off the day. That's going to keep things a little bit cooler than it was today. So more cloud cover to kick off the day, a marine air mass. Meanwhile, for you along the north coast, an area of low pressure is pretty much on your doorstep now. Showers, rain, periods of rain through the day tomorrow eases to just a chance of rain for the central interior. But everybody to the south, it is sunshine, a zonal upper level flow at this point. That changes to a very amplified jet stream moving forward Sunday night into Monday. That's going to be dropping our temperatures like a rock in some places. It's also going to be kicking up very gusty conditions for areas that are impacted by wildfires. So that's something that we're watching for. And it also means that cold front, it's a dry cold front, it's going to be bringing snow to Alberta. For us, it's rain along coastal sections. I mentioned just a chance of showers for the central interior, full-on sunshine for the southern interior and temperatures above seasonal. And for us over here, a little bit more cloud cover to kick off the day. And then summer ain't going anywhere. Anywhere. Look at all these sunshine icons and temps above seasonal. Okay, your Centra Windows weather window brought to us by Sheila at Merch Lake, a very long weekend inspired photo here beautiful and very calm thank you to sheila for that there you all, go all is calm at merch lake for sure okay thanks very much kasha now back to the singing superintendent and his back to school message we gotta wash our hands often sanitize too we gotta keep our distance when we're not in a All great things to remember as kids head back to class. Those in Nanaimo, Ladysmith Public Schools and all schools, really. Superintendent Scott Saywell joking he wouldn't blame anyone for turning off the video when he starts singing, but doing his best to encourage kindness and patience among the students, parents and staff as we all navigate this strange new world in the fall. I'd say let's have an encore. Let's but we don't do have the time. Go we got to we got to move on very, very quickly because Squire's here now, too. I am here. Not that I'm against encores, but, uh, you know, no. I got this thing I got to do. Uh, Vosik Pospisil is thriving in this no-fan U.S. Open environment. Not bad. It's, it's pros and cons. It's actually, I kind of like how quiet it is, to be honest. <laughs> well, the stands may be quiet in New York, but he's made a lot of noise himself by getting to the third round. Also tonight, we'll be stepping out with satellite debris. Such an important game. We've got a live shot at the Shark Club in Vancouver right now where Canuck fans are hoping for a win. It's game seven, of course, and that means a win here will propel us into the next round of the playoffs, the Western Conference Final. Uh, no score after one period, but we've got Squire to give the uh, update in just a moment. Usually a Game 7 would mean big sales for merchandisers, but that's not really the case this year. The owner of Van City Sports says he's seen a 70% drop in jersey sales in recent months. Without the arena to watch the game in, there's even less incentive to buy a jersey. But some true Canuck fans are still making the purchase, and among the best sellers, Hughes and Pedersen. I get it right now, it's really hot outside, not too many people want to wear a jersey, but at the same time we are getting a lot of calls for the 50 year anniversary black skate jersey, which we still have in stock. 
All right. Not a lot of people thought we'd be here at this Game 7 in this round. Here's Squire with Sports Now tonight. I was just going to say, what he said makes sense. You kind of forget it's early September and yeah. we're playing Stanley Cup hockey. Uh, let's consider that the Canucks right now are playing with house money. They're the team that is not supposed to be here anymore. But they took out the defending champs in St. Louis, and after spotting Vegas a 3-1 series lead, they have tied this series with their backup goalie. And the Golden Knights are frustrated about Thatcher Demko, and they're facing the very real possibility of losing a 3-1 series lead for the second year in a row. They gagged last year against San Jose. So let's see how they do. They're going to go with Robin Leonard. They're not going with Marc-Andre Fleury. So two tired goalies go at it again less than 24 hours later, and Demko doesn't look tired at all. The save there on William Carrier, and then this one's even nicer on Paul Stastny. It's been the same game. Canucks all over, make that Vegas all over the Canucks, and nobody has been able to beat Thatcher Demko. So, whichever team wins this game will take on the team that win, won this game. Dallas and Colorado Game 7. Alexander Radulov gave Dallas a 1-0 lead very early in the first period. It's now 1-1. Bad giveaway, and Andre Burakovsky will score to make it 2-1. This game was then tied 3-3. And in the third period, Vladimir Nemestikov scores, and it looks like, uh-oh, Colorado's going to win with only 3.40 left. Ten seconds later, Joel Kivaranta ties it. That's his second goal of the game. And then in overtime, everybody loses this guy. Watch him. Kivaranta, 25, backs away from the avalanche. Four avalanche standing there. Nobody notices. And former Canucks assistant coach Rick Bonus is taking Dallas to the conference final. That's who either Vancouver or Vegas will play. Um, Vancouver and Vernon's Vashik Pospisil plays his third round match at the U.S. Open tomorrow morning about 9.30 hour time against Roberto Bautista Agut of Spain, who is the eighth ranked player at this tournament. It won't be easy, of course. Pospisil will be the underdog, but he was the underdog when he beat fellow Canadian Milos Ronic the other day, and he's playing the best tennis of his career at the age of 30. Match point for a spot in round three. Game, set, and match. And he finishes it with authority. Vashik Pospisil is in a New York state of mind, coming off his biggest U.S. Open win ever over fellow Canuck Milos Raonic. Pospisil feels this could be the start of something special. I'm super confident right now. I feel like I have everything in my arsenal to, to beat anyone on tour. And um, so, yeah, I'm just going to keep, keep at it. Despite a six-month COVID break, Vashik has picked up right where he left off, and that's beating top 20 players with regularity. Vashik's an imposing figure at six foot four, and his power game is sometimes overlooked. But big serve, big forehand has been a winning strategy over the past year or so. I feel like I'm, I'm pretty accurate. I hit, I hit a lot of good spots. I, I feel like my serve is tough to read, uh, from what I hear, anyways, and uh, and. And I feel like I mix it up pretty well, right? So, I, and, I, and and also, I, you know, with I think my, my forehand is a, is a huge strength. Of course, this U.S. Open has been unlike any other for obvious reasons. No fans, no nobody, really. The city that never sleeps is definitely taking a nap. It's very strange to see how empty the, the grounds are. I mean, even with, with staff and personnel, 
Um, you know, there are no agents around, hardly any. I mean, even just my team, I don't have my physio with me. I don't have my fitness trainer with me. Not that I would always bring my fitness trainer, but just, you know, no guests. So it's very quiet. Since Pospisil's moved into the third round, he'll be moving out of his hotel and into the private suites at Arthur Ashe Stadium. He's hoping he can make that his home for the next 10 days or so as he chases Grand Slam glory. I think the most important thing is really that, that uh, belief that you can win the match that you're going into. And if you have that, then you just got to kind of let it ride. Okay, so Pospisil, Oje Aliassime are still in this tournament. What about Denis Shapovalov? He was taking on Taylor Fritz at the U.S. today in the third round. Uh, Fritz took the opening set. Shapovalov answered back, though, and took the second set 6-3. to three. Fritz won the third set and looked like he might win this. And then Shapovalov saved himself. Uh-oh. Nice. He won the fourth set in the tiebreaker. Fifth set, Shapovalov, much the best. Fritz had his chance, and he lost it. And Shapovalov is moving on to uh, round number Katra. Am I right? Is that what it is? Round six. Four. Un, dos, tres, quatre. There you go. That's what I meant. I wanted to do, you know, it's for a yeah. bilingual country. Yeah, for sure. Okay. For sure, I know what you mean. Very quickly, Andrew, get us out of this with a preview of Global News at 11. Thanks, Chris. An American family's visit to B.C. certainly didn't turn out the way they planned. The five people claimed they were traveling to Alaska, but were, were caught sightseeing in Vancouver. We'll let you know what happened when police caught up with them, and we'll hear from the public safety minister. Plus, we're barely into the long weekend already. There's been a rescue of an injured hiker. We'll let you know where it happened and why it took so long for rescuers to reach the hiker. Those stories and Canucks post-game reaction tonight at 11. Chris? Oh, open for the best. For sure. Okay, thanks a lot, Anne. And we'll be back with Satellite Debris right after this. All right, if there's uh, one thing Squire loves as much as sports, it's music. And there's definitely a musical angle to Satellite Debris tonight. There is, actually. And the first one uh, features an old song by somebody named Joe Jackson. Mm-hmm. There we go. <laughs> good i guess they could have also played is she really going out with him was that joe jackson that's joe jackson All right. yeah. okay good good uh okay that was jet fuel i guess or jet gas stations this is easy jet holidays although this is from last year you know before all you know what happened here we go one two three four five six seven eight uh 99 100 
coming. Ready or not? Zucchero e pepe è una monella originale, picchiatella, ecco perché più monella non c'è. Tutta delizia, tutto candore, croce delizia ad ogni cuore sempre sarà per chi un dì l'amerà. Croce delizia ad ogni cuore sempre sarà per chi un dì l'amerà. Zucchero e pepe, zucchero e pepe, son tutto zucchero i tuoi baci quando vuoi. Zucchero e pepe, zucchero e pepe, ma tutto pepe sono i miei capricci tuoi. Come per gioco col tuo fare indifferente. Scherzi col fuoco e non ti importa mai di niente. Zucchero e pepe. The search for your perfect holiday is over. Introducing EasyJet holidays. More singing. Yeah. Coors this time. Oh, what a beautiful morning. Oh, what a beautiful day. I've got a beautiful feeling. Everything's going my way. All the sounds of the earth are like music. The breeze is so busy, it don't miss a tree. Oh, what a beautiful morning. Oh, what a beautiful day. I got a beautiful feeling. Everything's gone. Now we'll move on to slide 236, which covers our third quarter. Line 45, we're at 62%. Hopefully no Zoom meetings in your long weekend. Thanks for watching, everybody. <laughs> Cheers.